Greetings, dear listeners. We recorded this episode with just Shadi and me, on video, something we're going to try to do more of in the coming weeks. You can check out the whole conversation over on YouTube if you want to see our pretty faces. It should be up soon. We started talking about the weird resilience of America. Both Shadi and I share a sense of American exceptionalism, but we are optimistic and pessimistic about different things. In the main episode, we argued about meritocracy, happiness, the relative importance of ideas, and whether the best democracy is a democracy that governs unsuccessfully. In the bonus episode, we turn to the question of whether our problem is Trump or Trumpism. If it's the latter, do intellectuals yelling about threats to democracy matter, especially if Trumpism is all about resentment? Put another way, would a greater awareness of the dangers of Hitler have prevented Hitler's rise? If you're not a paying subscriber, become one at wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe and listen to the whole conversation. On to the show. saying about america but i liked your conclusion <laughs> really you didn't understand I think, what i'm saying because i didn't really understand the china firms thing like that was too economic and technical for me so i just skipped over it and just got to the end of your thread uh the the story is is that um like we're manufacturing in america again and uh i don't know what the statistic was like year on year factory openings uh in america like up by 116 percent um, 116 yeah and like okay. onshoring is happening and the the mm. the idea behind it was that um for all the talk about uh you know policy prescriptions and everything about you know we need to do this because we need to help america and patriotism and you know all the working class stuff of of people trying to explain Trump and all the sort of stuff where uh, Biden tried to ape Trump with his whole sort of policy, foreign policy for the middle class and whatever. None of that matters. Ultimately, the it was like price signals from COVID, uh, the disruption to the supply chain. Uh, arguably, Trump's sort of belligerence to China did it partly, but even that didn't do it. It was like it was basically events and and sort of economic circumstances now pushing America to actually be more resilient um, than pretty much anywhere else. I mean, I'm particularly just comparing it to Europe where they're still just talking about what are they going to do about China? How are they going to do reshoring and French shoring and all this shit? Meanwhile, American industry year on year is like it's on the case, you know, and and not because of any policy being done, not because of what any intellectual said. It's just happening <laughs> because it has to happen. That's all. So that was a, Didn't that was a great philosopher, a great philosopher once said, I believe, or was it Winston Churchill? Events, dear boy, events. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Was that Churchill? <laughs> Did I, I, Churchill? <laughs> I don't think it was Churchill. I think it was a British person. It was a Brit. But so, <laughs> so you're basically saying then that I think what, why this argument is appealing to you is because it's not about ideas. Um, right. and you've, and I, th I think it's fair to say Demir that you've long been of the opinion that ideas are overrated. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's a hobby horse of mine, as you know, and I just come back to it. So when something makes me think of it, I just sort of go for it. And, uh, 
you know, try and put it out there and see, see, see if there's any traction. Cause I think it's, it is a deeply offensive idea to like lettered, literate people like ourselves, right. That we actually don't matter that like all the stuff that, that we come up with and all these thoughts and stuff and plans and all the rest of it, but actually in the grand scheme of thing, it doesn't matter. And it, it's, I remember it was, uh, the, the real sort of inspiration for this thread is uh, Walter Russell Mead's book, God and Gold, where he just makes the case there's something about, you know, the kind of merchant cultures that are Britain and the United States. And you can say that's the role of ideas and culture, it's ideas and it's all ideas. But it is important that it's no individual's contribution to those ideas or not in any sort of direct way that we intellectuals like to think that, you know, we put the big idea out there and then it gets picked up. And then it gets somehow acted on. At best, maybe I would I would like concede. Who was it? Was it a uh, uh, Keynes who said that that you know we're all slaves to some dead philosopher uh, from centuries ago? It's um, ideas co- concocted by some dead philosopher from like a century ago. Dead white man to be dead white precise. Man, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, was it. Was Keynes who said that? He was a big social justice warrior. <laughs> No, but I, so it's, I don't know, whatever, mm. you know, that's, that's sort of, you know, that's where I'm coming from. So I'm just sort of throwing that out there on that, that tweet. But isn't there a risk here of confirmation bias that you search out things that confirm this hobby horse of yours? And so obviously you'll be excited that there is something that seems to support this. But what are you, a scientist? You do, you do like randomized <laughs> trials on your, on your hobby horses and ideas. And you're like, <laughs> how can I? How can I ensure? Yeah, I don't know if that's if that's right, you know. But you've been saying this for a while. I I think there was also a tweet that you had a few weeks back where you were you were making the point that if we're talking about innovation, mm. Europe is so behind and they're just basically using American tech and that's about it. And I think you keep on coming back to this theme that there is something about America in terms of the kind of creativity and innovation it can unleash. And it is remarkable how behind schedule or even let's say backwards Europe is. And, you know, obviously liberals don't like to think about Europe and specifically Western Europe as being backwards, but in, in any number of ways, they, they seem to be that. So I'm curious, like, um, because I think you say, In this most recent thread, here's what you say. Demir says, not sure how else to put it, but never bet against America. I say it all the time to my European friends, especially when they are most horrified by my adopted home. I don't get it either. I'm some kind of awful intellectual after all. But here we are. Don't bet against America. Yeah, I think that's right. Look, I, I, I mean, look, this is this is a, a longstanding thread that you and I have, and actually we boost each other on when when we get down about things. I mean, I felt you were a little down in your Monday note this week on America, uh, even though you come out on the on the side of you know America is in fact great despite the darkness. I felt like even there you were dwelling a bit too much on the darkness, but you know, interesting. Can you say more about that? No, I well, mean, it, of course, we'll include a link in the in the show notes. This came out on July fourth. Yeah. I probably would have written it regardless, but you know, it it, it was timed nicely with Independence Day. Um, so I guess I have been reflecting about America, yeah, but just not, but also because so much has gone on in recent weeks with 
Dobbs ruling, abortion, the Supreme Court. I mean, it, it is a time to be panicked about the future of America. So I think it is important to take a step back and take stock of where we're at. Like, how bad is America today? Right. And, uh, yeah. So tell me, why did you think I was a little bit too depressing there? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I guess it's because offline we've been having conversations and, you know, we'll probably have a bit of that conversation now um, about how, you know, maybe it's not all that bad, like the Dobbs ruling and the rest of this. I mean, I, I sort of took a stab at it the week before in the Monday note. Uh, again, going after one of my hobby horses, which is Americans' obsessions with rights and how that that makes makes things less tenable and less workable. Um, and you know, I mean, I, I I felt like you you. I mean, I, I take your point. You know, it's a it's a it's a serious moment right now, and there's a lot of thinking and reflection that needs to happen uh, about the moment that we face. But you know, there's there's also a lot of. Um, unnecessary panic, I think, at this moment about a lot of this stuff. Um, it's not to minimize that the changes aren't going to be profound and they're not going to be wrenching and, and perhaps painful. But, you know, I think I feel like over the last few weeks, maybe you've oscillated a bit. Like, you know, as when you sat down to write this essay, you were more pensive and gloomy. But in general, you know, I've, 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 I've heard you at least say uh, and have thoughts about how uh, rulings like this actually, you know, might be good basically on democratic first principles that, that, you know, um, that, it, it, you know, it's, it's a path perhaps for, 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 uh, you know, a, a healthier Republic. And that's not, that's not to whitewash the Supreme court, uh, completely. It's not to agree with, you know, originalism completely, but, you know, just perhaps in the narrow case of Dobbs that it, it might be healthy. Um, yeah, and, fair enough. So I, you know, in my piece, though, I didn't actually dwell on Dobbs or abortion. So the reason for my relative darkness was broader. And it's something that I've said quite a bit on this podcast and, and also personally in our conversations, which is, I don't think America is the most pleasant place to live mm -hmm. if you want to enjoy your life. So if the goal is happiness, um, and, I, you know, I make this contrast vis-a-vis uh, -vis Western Europe where, you know, you go to Italy or Spain or France, there's a certain kind of leisurely pace. There isn't the same meritocratic rat race. And people just sort of accept their lives and enjoy their long leisurely lunches and their naps during the day. I'm being slightly stereotypical here in regards to the Spanish. But I think there is something about a different a different, um, what's it called? Tempo, a different tempo of life. Yeah. And people aren't as ambitious. And I think whoever's spent time really anywhere in Europe can sense this. There isn't this same preoccupation with striving, with unbridled ambition all the time. People's work hours are different. They're not always thinking about the next article they're going to write or what their boss is emailing them. I mean, France has been a pioneer in so-called right to disconnect laws, where they actually put restrictions on, you know, how intense employers can be with their employees outside of work hours. And of course, there's paid family leave, so on and so forth. So it's also a policy question. But um, 
and and I think, but that's also what makes America great and innovative and exciting and vibrant and messy and alive, because they're it just all it just it's all there. It's like a Jackson Pollock painting, mm. and that that can quite literally be messy, but the beauty is in the messiness. And I keep on coming back to this conclusion that the bad and the good of America are hard to disentangle. And I think we have to be careful of messing with, careful about messing with the formula, because if we did try to become more like Denmark, we would also, it might be better in certain ways, but we would also lose some of what makes America American. Maybe that trade-off is worth it, but we have to be aware that there is a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Right. And I, we'll have Nick Burns on, I think, either next week or the week after to talk about his essay, which, you know, you pivot off of and it is is just really good, I think. Um, so maybe we should save some of that. Um, I, and I didn't read yeah. the Atlantic piece on meritocracy, which you, you actually used to pivot off of uh, as well. Um, I think you, you mentioned that the, the piece itself sort of suffers at the end, uh, like with that last third problem with... Uh, with sort of like big ideas. Yeah, the problem of the last third, yeah. which is like the like very few books can really escape this, but it was very striking in this regard um because and all the there's been a bunch of books against meritocracy in recent years that's become like a thing that people have kind of zeroed in on, but like when it comes to the solutions, there aren't obvious solutions. But that's the problem with a lot of these debates. There aren't obvious solutions to most problems, and not all problems have solutions in the first place. But I think the basic argument here from Daniel Markovitz is um, on meritocracy is meritocracy doesn't make us happier. Mer- so meritocracy, it's not so much that it's bad for the poor or it's bad for the less skilled or the less smart or the less educated. It's also bad for the meritocrats themselves, the ones who benefit from the very system end up suffering from it. Right. But I I mean, I guess that ties into my thread in some way. And I mean, it's what you're saying about, you know, what makes America this Jackson Pollock painting. But it's more than that. I think it, 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 it leads to America defining the world in a lot of ways. And sure, I mean, I guess it's making it a little bit more miserable. But you know what I mean? It's one of those... I don't know, complaints that actually seems grounded in right, not that much. You know, I mean, yeah, sure. I guess Europeans have better social safety nets. They have uh, also, um, I think, higher unemployment in general. They rebound much more slowly. They had a hell of a time after 2008, uh, whereas America comparatively, you know, rebounded. Um, may again have a hell of a time after this war, whereas I, I think, you know, unless war comes to America's shores, for geographic reasons, for like productivity reasons, for the rest of it, we'll just be better off. And I mean, I guess it gets down to maybe another sort of um, hobby horse of mine is, is um, you don't believe in happiness. Well, the happiness studies stuff, right? I mean, there's a lot on it. I know you're, you're, (laughs) you're, you're reading more of that stuff and sort of, you know, and, and I, I, you know, and I know there are these sociological studies and surveys that, that, you know, self-reported happiness and they try to account for different things. It just seems to me like a really fraught uh, category and one especially, you know, make it self-reported stuff. Don't you find it? It's a it's I don't know, just not that convincing. Yeah, yeah I'm skeptical about it. But what can you do besides self-reported measures for happiness? I mean, at some level, all of this is subjective. So we do have to ask people how they feel. 
And how they feel is obviously socially constructed. In some countries, you're encouraged to be pessimistic when people ask you how you're doing, even though you might actually be enjoying your life. Right. There's like a social desirability thing. And if you live in Norway, it's almost like you think you should be happy because you know things are pretty awesome, at least in terms of a very generous welfare state. So even if you're depressed, you'll and it's really cold there, obviously, some parts of the year, you'll still like tell people tell pollsters oh yeah like and and also i think in more in in these more traditionally homogenous societies um that are in some ways also more conformist that um you know there's not as much weirdness that is being encouraged because you know smaller more homogenous societies high levels of trust a sort of collectivist ethos you kind of depend on the state the state is more central in people's lives you're you're sort of, you know, um, you're not going to diverge from the consensus too much. So there's all these different factors that lead people to respond in different ways to to questions around. So you know, you take it with a grain of salt. But what else can you really do? I would say um, uh, one one little interesting anecdote, and obviously anecdotes are not data. Well, there's no reason this would be. This is a very odd sentiment I heard when I was in California last year. And for our dear listeners who wondered where we were last week, we went a little bit longer between episodes. I was on a bit of a personal retreat in the um, in the remote, obscure coasts of Northern California. And I went, I went further up north than I have before. So I was at a conference in, in Napa Valley, um, Faith Angle Forum, which focuses on the role of religion in public life. And then I thought, well, you know, I'm in California. Let me take some time off and reflect and read. So I went a few hours north of San Francisco. I don't know if you've heard of Sea Ranch or Elk or nope. Point Arena, these sorts of places. How far but, from like, um, like the Oregon border, like nearby, that far north or, or just No, it's to not San the Lost Coast because okay. I guess there's a part of the coastline that actually doesn't have a highway because it was too rugged. I didn't go all the way up north, but it was okay. still pretty rugged and chilly and not a lot of people, which I, you know, the misanthropic side of me loves. Anyway, on my way back, I was passing through San Fr- I just want to clarify for our dear listeners, including friends who expect that if I'm in San Francisco, we should hang out. I take your point. I was only passing through for the night. I want to clarify that. And I had an event. But at this event, there was someone there. And I, I, I hadn't met him before. He said something which I thought was so hardcore pro-American. Hmm. And I was like, damn. He said, I was sort of sharing my concerns about the meritocratic aspects of American life that maybe make us miserable. And I was pushing him on that. But he, you know, he said something like, America is the closest thing that we've ever had to a living paradise in human history. I- and it was so... It was such a like it was such an unapologetic like he wasn't like qualifying like here I am being like yeah I love America America's great but 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 and he's like get out of here man he was being nice about it but it's, come on right this but, is but, this but is take awesome it this is but take it seriously though you know I mean when when and this is and I mean take it seriously in the sense that that like question the 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 sort of happiness surveys because what is happiness you know um, again. Yes, sure. We have no alternative except sort of self-measured stuff. Um, is is happiness 
I remember it was uh, it was uh, Tyler Cowen's book. Um, gosh, what was it called? The one the one he was sort of reasonably famous for about about uh, you know the coming technological displacement of all of us and stuff like that. And he had some really dystopian sort of passages. Oh, the, in there. the Great Replacement. Yeah, oh, no, I don't think it was the Great Replacement. <laughs> Tyler Cowens. I think it's the great. <laughs> I think it's the great something though. Yeah, Maybe the yeah, great yeah. divergence. Yeah, Tyler, anyway, Tyler, whatever. Tyler Cowens, the great replacement theory, where machines replace <laughs> us and not immigrants. But <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Um, well, no, I mean, but but he, he he had some sort of these, and I think he got pilloried for that a lot because you know um, Tyler's a very rationalist thinker. I think he, he's you know very considers the stuff and is he doesn't sort of shy away from this sort of stuff. But, you know, he, he, he talks about um, the fact that, that in fact, um, uh, you know, we, we may become so rich, in fact, that we might be able to, uh, through technology, just basically give certain kinds of, of, of uh, living subsidies to people that don't actually contribute and aren't able to interface with machines so much and be given like a PlayStation and some sort of narcotics and, you know, seriously, that's fascinating. I just didn't know that was his argument and hamburgers and like, you know, live your <laughs> wait, life. You're just tro- wait, are you being serious now? Hamburgers, narcotics and so PlayStation. This book came out a really long time ago and I read it while I was at the magazine uh, because, you know, you sort of have to like speed read some of these things to get through it. And I remember it was Bill Galston in the wall street journal who really took him to task for this book. Um, and for this, mm. for this sort of like mm. possible thing, I do remember that. Um, so I, I, I hope I'm not doing too much injustice to, uh, Tyler's argument. I almost certainly am, but anyway, never mind the actual <laughs> content of Tyler's argument. And, and just to, to point out that, that, you know, I think happiness doesn't mean comfort and it doesn't mean, uh, leisure and, and the ability to basically do nothing. I mean, you know, that's, that was the other really weird thing in, in, um, like Marx's idea of what, what, what happiness is, right. is like some level of material prosperity where you can like fish in the morning, I don't know, woodwork in the afternoon and build a car in the evening or whatever the hell he said. Right. And, and, and it's, it's just, it doesn't correspond with human nature. Um, obviously leisure is an important thing, but it's not the whole thing and it's not happiness. Happiness is, is creating something. And I think that's what America gets really well is that it empowers people to make shit all the time. And empowers them to just like go break shit and then make shit and just start again and do it again. And yeah, that's demanding, but I, I, you know, I, it certainly leads to a more vibrant and better society. I think a more dynamic society. I can argue that dynamic, maybe- but that a more dynamic society, not necessarily a better society, which is yeah. a very subjective sure, word. Subjective. What, okay, what is well, better? So, so what is better? Uh, and, and I guess that, that's what gets at my sort of ideas don't matter argument and the, this whole sort of like passiveness of um, that without sort of intervention of ideas, uh, America's dynamism uh, leads it to be the most prosperous and most sort of world defining power and has for the last, uh, you know, hundred odd years. Now, maybe that's not an end in and of itself and maybe, you know, but that's certainly a hard metric that one can say that, yes. that despite adversity, it keeps bouncing back and uh it creates and it 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 makes stuff it sets the tempo it 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 and by doing that by being the 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 pace setter the trend setter um it leads to not being beholden to anyone else ultimately 
partly again, it's it's the gift of geography, uh, you know, uh, neighbors that can't threaten it, a sense of security, uh, massive, yeah. you know, again, land endowments and the ability to do this sort of stuff. But it's it's um, there's there's I guess I would say there's there's something that one can latch onto there is to not be uh, bullied by anyone else. That's that's a, a a sense of success, a sense of I don't know. This is where like my my not really attaching or really needing feeling like I need to attach questions like is it good or not. Um, I would just say that it's something that it affords us, and so maybe that's how I would take your 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 interlocutors. Um, things seriously. I mean, it, it allows individuals uh, the ability to just make stuff all the time. And that collectively leads to a society that, yes. well, that then leads to a society that, that, that basically, you know, sets the pace for the world if doesn't run it, you know? And again, you know, it's a conversation we've had before. I, I at the, when all the chips are down, um, all the, the talk about China and all the rest of this, I, I, I think that we'll surprise them in the end. Uh, I don't know how, and I don't think any intellectual. Oh yeah, I exactly totally agree with you. Work. We'll run in the with, fight we'll- against China, there's no doubt in my mind who will come out victorious. Um, you know, and in that sense, we both come to the same conclusion, although perhaps for different reasons. I would probably emphasize more the moral, the ideological yeah. right. uh, aspect, and the moral aspect yeah. that because we're a democracy, we are destined to eclipse a competing dictatorship. Um, but, but for me, it's interesting that it, I don't think it's the democratic nature that makes America a world beater. I guess that's what I'm getting at also, you know? Um, now, well, we couldn't be a world beater if we were authoritarian. So we, I, I get that that's not what you emphasize. Yeah, no, that's true. But the two go hand in hand, the innovative aspect and the sense of vibrancy and chaotic creation – Loosely governed, that right? Is only po- That's yeah. the interesting thing. It's 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 not that we are governed by consent, uh, though it would be hard to loosely govern anything without some consensus mechanism. And to have this kind of looseness in the governance, I think uh, you need you need, I guess, some kind of ill-functioning democracy. <laughs> and I mean, maybe that's part of it too. You know what I mean? Like if if you had too good of a democracy, maybe it wouldn't work that well. Because if you had like an effective democracy that actually managed to to uh, govern more, maybe that wouldn't be good. I don't know. I'm just now spitballing yeah, here. here. Okay, now you're you're onto something. Because what do we mean when we say effectiveness? An effective yeah. government means a stronger state in some way, where a state is getting things done, or being efficient, or providing services more effectively. And that's what Western European states are known for. And that's why the state is more present in people's everyday lives. And that, but that would mean, that would mean less room for the chaotic creativity that we're talking about here. So I think there definitely is a link here that maybe be careful what you wish for. You don't, you want good government, but you don't want too good government. You, you want good enough government. And once you start getting into, you know, a very effective state like the Norwegian state or or the Danish state, that comes at a cost because, as we've, as I've, as I think we've both said in different ways at different times, life is about trade offs, but so is politics. And if you have too much of one good thing, you'll have less of another good thing. You cannot have your cake and eat it. So there's no way you're going to have 
a vibrant, crazy Silicon Valley where people are just like bonkers and do crazy shit, but also and also create amazing shit in Norway. Like that's why there isn't. I mean, there is technology. There is technology, obviously, in Norway, but there isn't going to be a Silicon Valley in Norway, right? I mean, you know that that tweet thread you were referring to earlier. I just remember that was actually based on uh, someone else's tweet that I was actually surprised. Not, I mean, doesn't actually surprise me on, on reflection. I just didn't expect it. It was uh, Gary Kasparov was saying about Europe just sort of being backwards on a lot of technology stuff. You know. That they don't invent stuff. Too much regulation. The EU. I mean, well, but, you I know, mean, so, you'll so, know more about this than I do. I don't want to speak out of turn here about the nature of European regulations and the role of the EU in all of this. But it's just like harder to get things done when you're. I mean, there's just a lot. There's a lot that constrains. Where I think what defines America is being free from constraint. Right, and right. Bruno, our friend Bruno Machais, was was saying this the other day in response to this point that I was making. That, you know, Americans engage in what he calls, and this is originally from Susan Sontag uh, decades ago, in dream politic, where there's a kind of um, there's a kind of unreality to the way we live. And that unreality is actually good because it means we are not constrained by history and it means we are not constrained by reality. We can transcend our own reality where Europe, I think also by virtue of historical events and two devastating world wars, has always felt very tied to reality. It cannot afford to be unconstrained by it. Yeah. But feel free to push back no, on that. No, no, no. It's right. I'm, all I was going to say, though, and I got some pushback on that tweet thread. I forget. This one guy in particular went after me on it. And it was, you know, points well taken saying that, um, you know, there are other limits to Europe's uh, ability, you know, even though it is a common market, it's not a common language. It's harder to sort of travel that, you know, they haven't uh, really put their, their, uh, their back into some of this like technology stuff. And so, you know, there's more fragmentation, at least to that. You take that uh, on the one hand. The other thing that I think is worth pointing out is that Germany is an insanely successful society. They're, you know, perhaps about to have their lunch eaten to, uh, from them because, uh, you know, they're not adaptable enough. And that gets to that, that inventiveness. Uh, but, you know, they, through a kind of uh, uh, ability to I think, cooperate, yeah, legislate to, to a large extent, they, they managed to follow orders very well. Um, and, uh, uh, but, you know, they, they are, uh, certainly were uh, leaders in, in, in factory and machine technology, right? I mean, they, they, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a marvel um, but it, it's not clear to me whether they're going to make the leap into what's next. That's the, the other part, you know, whereas America was great in cars. And then, you know, uh, they, for example, they couldn't have been an Elon Musk in Germany, even though they're such a car culture and have invented that. They just, you know, they were slow to oh, that. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it, it's just it's like impossible to imagine. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, with those caveats, it's interesting to hear you, though, talk about this, because I think you and I, when we talk about these things about democracy, um, I tend to push you on on the moral element, which I, I've, I've noticed over like the last year or so you've been you've been also, I think, leaning into more. And I think it's it's right that you are about uh, democracy, you know, shouldn't necessarily have good outcomes for it to be desirable. And that it has a sort of intrinsic moral worth in and of itself. But I think we just hit on something different that I haven't actually heard you say that maybe a virtue of a democracy 
is that it in fact doesn't work all that well, which is a slightly different thing than I've heard you say before. That is to say that <laughs> that, that in fact by it, it not working that well, it, it it creates space for the individual. It creates kind of freedom. I mean, it's that's a that's a, a weird like democratic minimalist liberal uh, liberal libertarian sort of argument maybe you know that 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 uh, but it is very intrinsic to America. Like you know, one of the these these things is that you know constitutionally the whole constitution is set up to be somewhat dysfunctional to have blockages at all sorts of levels to actually give room to uh individuals to creativity to actually make it work because it's so big and rambunctious and hard to sort of keep in one place you know it's one thing that drives me sort of insane among about uh liberals when they talk about especially in light of 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 uh well, any number of crises that we've been under lately, right? Uh, these these ideas that um, well, the Constitution is unjust. It you know it like favors the other side. And we can debate about that, but uh, you know what we need to do is like refound the country and like come up with some sort of new constitutional arrangement. Not recognizing that if you actually were to call together a constitutional convention right now, you couldn't refound the country. I don't think you could. All the no. all the challenges that were there at the start, all of all the stuff that's built into the Constitution that that leads to the kind of gridlock is there because we still have the same sort of arrangement we did uh, at the founding. Small states, uh, less populous states, uh, poorer states versus richer, larger, more industrialized, more prosperous states. Uh, they they all have interests. I mean, you could abolish states. I mean, we talked to our friend Nils Gilman like two years ago about that idea, just abolish all states and refound the government that way. But even when you think about that, is that's that would perhaps lead to a, a different kind of democracy than we have, but it would maybe lead to a a more totalizing and more effective yeah. democracy, which would be bad. And that's why I don't want to mess with a winning formula. For all of our faults, America works pretty good relative to human history. And for people who come up with these neo-utopian schemes of refounding America, look, maybe it would lead to some pretty interesting, even quote-unquote, good outcomes, certainly maybe more economic equality or something like that. But, I mean, do you want to mess with the formula? Because then America won't be America anymore. It would be something else. And I think that, I don't know if that makes me or us small-c conservatives, I think as I've gotten older... I have become more reticent about the idea of just too much social or political, institutional, electoral engineering. Actually, I'm fine with electoral engineering because that's a little bit more narrow and specific. And I feel like there's a lot of good academic literature on better better systems of of government that I know we disagree on that. I mean, I, I I think that I can be open to persuasion on like a, a more of a parliamentary system in the US but even that would be risky because again you're messing with a formula that that's done us well for for um for a long time now i think your point on i think we i i like this idea about dysfunction being a virtue cuz i think that's actually getting to something much deeper i mean if you think about the most interesting people you know as individuals and this also goes for just like artists or writers or the people that we admire the most, or at least the people I admire the most, oftentimes they are very complex characters. They are not 
they're not straightforward, like nine to five family men who are totally predictable. They're a little bit messy. And maybe that's where great writing and great art and great films come from. You you need some level of dysfunction in an individual to be truly visionary and innovative on that scale. Maybe that's not the most important thing in the world. Maybe it's better to have someone who's solid and reliable. But again, we go to the trade-off. And if we can sort of make that same argument on the level of states and systems and democracies, that you actually do want some dysfunction baked into your system, because what goes for individuals goes for systems. Yeah. And for, I mean, I think there's something really important there that is, I think, hard for people to admit because they want things to work all the time. We want to solve problems and, you know, oh, if we can only have better policy and let's find a better policy through expertise. And that's why I think we've had a long running theme on the podcast that we are skeptical of too much expertise and too much experts because experts want to undo dysfunction. They see dysfunction as something to, to be addressed through technocratic policymaking, right? No, so, totally. Right. So, so it's interesting <laughs> then. What's your, what's, your, what's, your, um, what's your attitude towards ideas then? Uh, because I, yeah, I guess we've never really explored that then is, is, you know, on the one hand, the importance of ideas. On the other hand, uh, the problems with expertise um now you know i mean i was actually texting with with uh with our friend sam kimbriel about this earlier today um right it, it's there's a danger when we talk about ideas uh that we say well it's all ideas and you can't have anything you know without ideas like life is ideas life is people interacting with each other and you know ideas happen you know events dear boy happen as I think Sam put it to me. And then like you reach for whatever is nearby and that's an idea and that lets you move forward. And that's the role of ideas. But there's something about what we don't like about expertise that we don't like about uh, technocracy that I think I'm also trying to get at in that, that tweet thread about why America is great is that, yeah, it, it works despite all that. Um, that, that, that the salvation is not in that. And so maybe I overstate my point by being against ideas, but I, I think, you know, I, I think you can at least be approach where I'm coming from on this in your dislike for experts. And again, you know, we had the, the, we had our conversation recently about expertise and, 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 um, obviously, you know, we're not, we're not Luddites, uh, vaccines work. We're both vaccinated, you know, good shit um but uh <laughs> but but there's something there about and i think it's probably cultural because we we sort of um inhabit this milieu of of uh you know overeducated people uh working in this sort of space of ideas um that we we maybe overestimate it's importance and overestimate our role in it. And that, that, that it's important to recognize that, that like, you know, um, if America makes it through everything, including, uh, you know, Trump and Trumpism and the rise of that sort of stuff, um, it will be like 
the sum of a bunch of things that make America America and not any single intervention of any individual or or like the role or like the transformative idea that somehow like gets us out of it. And I'd include in that things like liberalism that we've we've spent a lot of time talking about on, on this show. You know what I mean? Like, oh, is liberalism good? Is it bad? Like what's an anti-liberal, et cetera, et cetera. Ah, maybe, maybe, maybe none of that really matters, you know? That's it for the main episode. In the bonus, we turn to the question of whether our problem is Trump or Trumpism. If it's the latter, do intellectuals yelling about threats to democracy matter, especially if Trumpism is all about resentment? Put another way, would a greater awareness of the dangers of Hitler have prevented Hitler's rise? If you're not a paying subscriber, become one at wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe and join us for the rest of the conversation. See you in the bonus.